Go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles, if you've got those, to Luke chapter 1. We're going to be reading this morning verses 26 um, all the way through 38. I invite um, Pam to come back up and read for us out of God's Word. And if you're able, would you please stand with us out of respect for God's Word? If you're new to Central um, and this is like an odd thing and you're not used to this, um, just to put it real simple, we stand out of respect for our flag. God's Word is so much better than that. Um, And it is so much more authoritative, and so we stand every week when we hear of God's Word because we believe that it is um, over us, that it has authority over our lives, um, because it's the very words of God that we're hearing this morning. And so, uh, with that being said, Pam, I'll go ahead and pass it off to you. Thank you. Good morning, church family, again. Okay, today we're reading from Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. You may be seated. Pam, thank you. So uh, how many of you have ever heard of the uh, show on um, PBS, The Antique Roadshow? Any of you? Okay, so for you who are under the age of 50, um, no, I'm just kidding. Like, I've known about the Antique Road Show for a long time. But anyway, if you're not sure what the Antique Road Show is, let me, let me give you a little bit of an example of what the premise is. So the Antique Road Show is uh, this traveling group of appraisers and kind of a convention where um, they gather together in like a convention hall, and then people in that city bring them their goods, their heirlooms, their valuables, the antiques, to get them appraised by professionals, right? And the hope is, is that they're going to find some wonderful treasure that's been buried in some chest in their house or some drawer somewhere that was passed down from one generation to the next. And so if you watch the show, the whole point is, is you watch these people come to the appraisers and you don't know what's going to happen. Um, sometimes uh, they get an appraisal that just blows their minds. And other times these people are, are really, really disappointed in what that appraisal is. Well, in, in 2004, 
there was a guy who came to the Antique Roadshow and he had a watch. And this watch had been given to him by his great-grandfather. And he kind of knew or thought that this watch had some value. And he, he guessed, based off of just some understanding about watches and some research that he had done, that this watch that he had, that his great-grandfather had given to his grandfather, and then his grandfather had given to his father, and then his father had passed on to him, was maybe worth around $50,000. And so he goes and he's looking at it and this, he takes it to an appraiser and the appraiser's checking it out. And, and he goes, well, I just want to tell you that you thought that this watch might be valuable of around $50,000, but it's really more like $750,000. And that ended up being too low because when they did more research on the watch, they actually found that it was one of a kind and it was actually sold in an auction for $1.4 million dollars and is today valued at around $2 million. Now, now, here's what's crazy about that. Now, you think about this guy having a watch and how many thousands of times his grandfather and his father and himself looked at the face of that watch and had no idea of the value that was on their wrist. No idea of the value that was sitting in a drawer somewhere. They had no idea of the favor that had been bestowed upon them by this great-grandfather that, that purchased this watch. Now, here, here's why I tell us this and why I bring this up. Because I think that Christmas, and I think a text like this in Luke, oftentimes feels a little bit like that watch to me. And here's why. Because every year, if you've been a Christian for very long, you read this story. Every year you hear the movies and you watch the shows and you hear the music of Christmas and you go to church and you go to the Christmas Eve services and every year like we hear it and I think it's really easy for us to be like, oh wow, this is valuable. This is a neat thing, but because we've heard it so many times, because we see it every day in our lives, we can miss the true value of it. And we can just, not intentionally, but just kind of get used to the fact that it's there and just used to the story and, and we kind of forget all of the beauty that's there and, and why God has given us this story and why God has given us this moment, why he's written these things down for us in his word. And so my hope for us this morning, as we study this, and as we look about the favor of God that's given to us in his son Jesus, the favor of God that is expressed to Mary, this young girl, that our hearts will become alive again to the story that I think is easy for us to just kind of get used to, that we would become zealous for that story, that we'd be excited and, and see it with new eyes in a little different kind of way. And so with that being the case, and with that being our desire, the only way that can happen is that the Spirit works in us. And so with that, would you join me in prayer? Father, I just thank you for the morning, the opportunity that we had to come and to praise you, to sing to you, to, 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 to declare the glories of who you are. And Father, I think of that line in the song that we sang last, that, that you would unfold the hearts of men like flowers that turn towards the sun. Uh, Lord, I want to pray this morning that as we look at this text and as we look at the truths of your scripture and we look at the truths of what you've given to us in history in the work of your son, Jesus, Lord, that you would unfold our hearts this morning. Father, we wouldn't, we wouldn't see this as just another Christmas and another story, but Father, we would truly see 
this week, that this day, the glory and the beauty of what you've given to us in the Christmas story, in the story of your son coming to this earth. So Lord, I certainly pray, Lord, that you would give us your favor this morning. Father, you'd speak this morning to our hearts by your spirit and lead us into truth. We pray and ask these things in your name. Amen. So as we jump into this, I think it's important for us to start by kind of imagining and putting ourselves into the shoes of Mary. So I want you to do, I want you to imagine that you are Mary in first century Israel. I know that's probably a little harder for some of us, especially um, guys in the room. Um, But nonetheless, do your best to imagine that you're Mary and you're part of a a typical and devout Jewish family. Now we know that she's probably relatively devout. Most of the people in those days um, were because it was such a core and integral part of their lives. But we know uh, that even in Mary's own family, that her cousin's married to a priest, right? And so she likely is somebody who's very familiar with the temple, very familiar familiar with the Old Testament, um, very much living day in and day out as a faithful young girl. And, and here she is, probably around 14 years old. Now that, that kind of messes with our heads a little bit, right? But we know that Mary was probably between 13 and 15 years old because the average age for a girl to be betrothed and married was between 13 and 14. Which again, I know that's crazy for us to think about, but that's, that's the norm of those days. And so you've got a 14-ish year old girl betrothed to be married to a main man named Joseph. Now, that means she's basically married. Uh, like in those days, to be betrothed to someone was to be committed to them. It was essentially, it was way more significant than just an engagement. Like she was essentially already married to Joseph, though she hadn't given herself to him yet. And so put yourself in this young girl's shoes, this devout girl on the verge of marriage, thinking about all that's going to happen in her life. And then suddenly an angel appears to her. Now, you can't read that and think, oh, well, this is a normal occurrence in the Old Testament and in the Bible. It's not. Even in the Old Testament, all the times where we see God do miraculous things and appear to his people and angels come, like that is over the span of thousands of years. And so we read it in a book and we think, well, this happened all the time, but it didn't. And even more so for the people of Israel, like they haven't seen anything like this for 400 years since the canon was closed with the ending of what was likely Second Chronicles, but in our text, it's Malachi, right? And so, so here's the thing, like this is not normal, not normal. And this 14-year-old this girl sees an angel, and an angel comes to her, and we read this morning, says, greetings, Oh, favored one, the Lord is with you. And this isn't just some angel, by the way, this is Gabriel. They knew who Gabriel, Gabriel was like the top shelf angel. So like they're, she's getting the best angel, if you will. And Gabriel comes and he gives this 14-year-old girl this greeting. And, and we're going to look at how Mary responds to that, but we need to think about what does this greeting actually mean? What is Gabriel actually communicating to this girl when he appears to her? Well, first, and it seems really obvious, but at first she says that she is favored. Now, what does this mean? This means she has had grace bestowed upon her. She's become the recipient 
of God's freely bestowed beneficent goodwill. Right? God's good will. Now, again, just think about what that means. A 14-year-old girl, you're nobody. You're from nowhere. You're in the most backwater part of the greatest empire that the world has ever seen. Nobody knows who you are. You're just minding your own business, thinking about what it's going to be like to run your own household. And suddenly Gabriel comes and appears to you and tells you that you're favored by the Most High God. She knows who this God is. She's read the stories. This is the God who spoke the world and everything in it into creation and in existence with just a word. This is the same God that she's grown up believing and understanding has taken her people out of Egypt from the plagues. It's the same God who split the Red Sea. The same God that led Joshua and the people across the Jordan River and, and, and watched the um, walls of Jericho fall down. The same God who brought babies out of barren women who were way past their childbearing years. The same God who shut the mouths of lions, the same God who raised up warriors and kings like Samson and Gideon and David and Solomon, like she knows all of this. This is the God she has worshiped her entire life. This is the God that she knows that when people see him on his throne, they fall over as if they're dead. And here she is, a 14-year-old girl And he says, and this angel comes and says, you're favored by him. By him. Man, this God saw Mary. He sees her. Enough to send Gabriel to her. And not only does he see her, but he's decided to focus his might and his power and his goodness and his goodwill towards her. Out of all the other people... Not a priest, not, not, not a scribe or a Pharisee, this little girl. And this kind of favor that Gabriel speaks of is so closely tied with grace, which we'll see later, and is important. And this idea leads us to the second thing that is embedded in this very short greeting. Not only is she favored, but this favor is something that cannot be earned. Don't put Mary on a pedestal. I know lots of people throughout history have done this, where they look at Mary as if she's like some sort of a pure and perfect girl. Listen, brothers and sisters, Mary is just like you and I, as Romans chapter 3 says, all have sinned. It doesn't say all have sinned except Mary. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This includes Mary. Mary hadn't done anything great. Mary hadn't written books of wisdom. She hadn't done anything in the temple. Like she's just a 14-year-old girl. Those of you who have kids, think about your kids at 14, 13. And she hasn't done anything yet. And yet God chooses to bestow his goodwill on her. She didn't earn it. She doesn't deserve it. But he does it anyway. He chooses. Like This is the very definition of grace and favor. Now, I want, to, I want to just stop real quick because I want us to just ask, those of you in this room, you might be here this morning, you might think to yourself, like, I don't believe any of this stuff. 
And, and listen, I want to just acknowledge that. You might be listening to this. You might think, okay, I don't get all this. I don't believe it. I don't believe in God. I don't believe in all these stories. But let me just ask you to do me a favor. Even if you're in this room or you're listening online right now and you don't believe these things, like, here's what I ask. Imagine if this were true. Imagine if the holy God of the universe really did step into the world and did send an angel to talk to this 14-year-old nobody in the middle of, uh, of the backwater part of the Roman Empire when she didn't do anything to deserve it and he begins to speak. Isn't that something worth paying attention to? Isn't that an amazing thought? Isn't that an amazing thing to consider and how wonderful it would be? Well, it is. And I want you to at least consider the realities of that. And for those of us who do believe all this to be true, like we recognize that this is a glorious moment. And this should be enough. Like for him to just say this should be enough. But that's not what Gabriel stops with. He continues with one more thing. Look at it. Luke chapter 1, verse 28. Greetings, O favored one. So she's favored, undeservedly so. She hasn't earned this. And then he says this. The Lord is with you. <laughs> the Lord is with you. Not only have you been seen, not only have you been given favor that you don't earn and you don't deserve, but God is with you. I don't know if you remember when you were a kid how important the presence of your parents were. Like for some of you, I know you have to think a little further back than some of us do. Some of you, you're right there in the middle of that right now. Like you remember, like you're, you're a child and you think, man, like I don't really care where I go as long as my mom and dad are there. Like if you want to take me on a scary ride, I'll go as long as mom and dad are there. You're going to move me from one state to another. I don't care as long as my mom and dad are there. Like you remember those moments and you remember the presence of your parents, how comforting it was and how good it was. Think about when you were trying to ride your bike. And how much comfort it brought you just to know that while you were trying to learn how to fly down the street, your mom or dad was holding the back of the seat. Hopefully that was the case. And as most parents did, I know we let our kids fall into the bushes or crash at some point. Nonetheless, just think about how comforting it was to know they were there. Right? Like, just think about that. This is so much bigger than your parents. And Gabriel is saying, like, the Lord is with you. He's with you. Like this should bring tremendous comfort to Mary. To have God's favor so profoundly directed upon, uh, upon her in a way that where she says that he is with her. But what I find fascinating about this text, and this is where we're going to shift a little bit, is that in the beauty of this statement, in the beauty of this greeting, you would think Mary would be like, sweet. That is not her response. Like something else must be going on in Mary's head because Mary doesn't respond in a way that I would think I would respond, which would be like, yes, God has favored me. Yes, God is with me. Yes, I didn't have to earn any of this. Like she responds in three very unique ways and it has three very unique effects upon her. And the first one is that she's troubled. And not just troubled. She's really troubled. She's greatly troubled. Why? I mean, something must be wrong with Mary. Really? The God of the universe is saying that he's favored you and you're troubled by that? The God of the universe has said he's going to be present with you and you're, and you're troubled by this? Like, 
doesn't it feel like we're missing something when we read this text? Because if someone said that to me, if an angel came and said that to me, I don't know that I would be troubled, but apparently I would be. And so why is Mary troubled? Why is she troubled so greatly in her heart after such a wonderful, astounding greeting? Well, I think there's a couple of reasons. And I want to start by thinking about the fact that part of the reason is because we have a different view of God's favor than I think is actually biblical. All right, so when we think of God's favor, we tend to think of just good things that God is going to do for us and to us. And so if you were, for example, to go around Christian world or even the world in general, and you were to ask, what do you think the favor of God would look like in your life? Here's what I think you would get. You'd get a list of things. Um, let me just show you a, a bunch of them here. I think that people would say that um, you're going to get long life. Right? Like the favor of God would mean that I'm going to have long life. If the favor of God would mean that I'm going to have wealth. The favor of God would mean that I'm going to have a good life. My life is going to be full of awesome things and good things and awesome moments. That the favor of God is going to bring pleasure into my life. That the favor of God is going to bring security into my life. The favor of God is going to bring happiness into my life. The, fear, or the, the, the favor of God is going to take away my fear of death or maybe even remove death from me at some point. God's favor will take or will give me health. God's favor will help me accomplish my dreams. God's favor might even free me to be who I truly am. Like I genuinely think that when we talk about the favor of God, we think about these types of things. And so why would we be troubled if this is what God is about to do? The problem is this is our perception. This isn't actually representative of what the favor of God looks like through most of the scriptures, and we're going to talk more about that as we go forward this morning. And I believe that there's a different idea of favor that Mary has. And so she was troubled. And I don't think she was troubled because she believed this is what favor meant for her. She was troubled because she truly understood what favor could mean for her. But it wasn't just that she was troubled. We also see that she was confused, right? Because she's trying to discern what kind of a greeting this is. She's sitting back and she's going like, um, what does this mean? She's confused about it. And again, we think about this and go like, why would you be so confused? Why would you need to be discerning this? Are you just a really pessimistic young girl? But I think she was confused because she understood what it meant. See, for us to understand, we need to remember that this young 14-year-old girl is far more steeped in Scripture than any of us probably are. Like, she was raised and grew up because of what we know, what happened in Jewish homes, memorizing aspects of the Scriptures, understanding deeply the components of the Scriptures. And so when she hears a phrase, like, the Lord is with you, she doesn't just think about good feelings. She immediately thinks about when that phrase has been used in other parts of the scriptures. And so she interprets it, not from her own personal lens. She interprets the Lord is with you statement through the lens of the scriptures, which we all should do, right? But she knew it. And so when she hears the Lord is with you, I think she thought something very different than just warm fuzzies. I think she understood that practically every single time that phrase is used in the Old Testament, 
God is about to or already had given some really hard task to the person that he was about to get talked to. All right, so just give you a couple of examples. In Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 4, this statement is given to the people as an encouragement as they're about to go to war. Right? You're about to go to war. It looks terrifying. You're outnumbered. You're just a small, tiny nation. The Lord is with you. Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6, this is told to Joshua, who's taking on the mantle of Moses, like the greatest leader of the people of Israel up to that point, and he's being told, I want you to not only take over the rule of these people, but I want you to take them into Canaan to go after Jericho first. But don't worry, the Lord is with you. Uh, Judges chapter 6, verse 12. Some of you know the story of Gideon, a man who's called to go against the Philistine armies, uh, armies of thousands of people, and he's called to go to defeat them with 300 men. The Lord is with you, Gideon. The Lord is with you. In 1 Chronicles chapter 22, verse 18, David is charging his son Solomon to build the temple and lead God's chosen people, and he says... Solomon, the Lord, is with you. So I think what happens in this is Mary recognizes that what is probably going to come next isn't going to be easy. This isn't going to be just some easy task. This is the comforting statement before the call to do something that probably sounds pretty nuts. This is like a parent calling their kids up and saying like, Okay, I've got something I want you to do, but before I tell you, don't panic, I'll be there with you, right? Which then makes the kid go, oh, snap, what's about to be asked of me, right? Like, what are you about to tell me that I need to know that you're going to be with me in the midst of this? Like, I think Mary recognizes that that's what's being said. Like, what I'm about to say to you isn't going to be easy, but it's going to be okay. The Lord is with you. And so you got this 14-year-old girl, she hears this, and she's greatly troubled, she's confused, she's trying to understand what this means for her, she's trying to understand what this is going to be communicated to her, and she's also afraid. You know this because Gabriel tells her, don't be afraid, and you don't have to tell people to not be afraid if they're not already afraid. She's experiencing fear, and rightfully so. Like, there's an angel in her room. There's an angel in her room, and he's from the holy God, and he's probably about to tell her something or call her to do something that's extremely difficult. Again, put yourself in her shoes. You're 14, and you go to your mom. Um, Mom, I have something I need to tell you. I'm pregnant, but it's okay because Gabriel told me it's, it's not from a man, it's from God. You don't think that'd be scary? You don't think that would be troubling? Like, this is the reality of what Mary is about to experience. And so, and so she's experiencing these very real emotions in the midst of something that's about to be told to her. 
She's troubled, she's confused, and she's afraid. And knowing that this is where her heart is at, Gabriel responds to her trouble and her confusion and her fear in this way. He says, don't be afraid. Oh, thanks, Gabriel. Mary, for you have found favor with God. So he just repeats it again. And then he goes on to tell her she's going to be pregnant as a virgin. She's going to bear a son. And the Lord is going to give him the throne of his father, David, and he is going to rule over the house of Jacob forever. And in his kingdom, there will be no end. His rule will go forever. Mary knew exactly who this man was to be. She knew exactly who this angel was talking about. He was talking about the Messiah. He was talking about the Christ. He was talking about the Son of God that would come. This favor is like anything that we have ever seen in the history of the world. It's unlike anything we've ever seen in all of the scriptures previous to this point. And it is absolutely transformative, not only to this girl, but to the world. Amen? And so there's three things I want us to walk away from and then we want us to take away this morning from. The first is this, that this favor that is given to Mary should never bring fear. This favor is grace. It's grace. Grace to come through this baby. The word for favor here, just like it was earlier, is used over 160 times in the New Testament and it is always translated grace. Mary understands that these things said and spoken to her are of the Messiah, the promised one, the one that would come to redeem and to restore Israel, the one that would come and like, save them and deliver them. But she doesn't know what we know. Mary doesn't know yet what we know now in 2023, that this favor, the favor that Gabriel is talking about, the favor of the Son of God is one that is born of love. You remember John 3.16? We talked about it last week. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. This message is being given to Mary. It's about love. It's about love for Mary. It's about love for the people of Israel. It's about love for the world. It's a reward. It's grace. It's unmerited favor. It's favor that is birthed out of the love of God for his people. And the scripture is clear. In 1 John, it says this, there is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So whatever uncertainty comes from the message of Jesus... I mean, as you think about for Mary specifically, but I think that's a microcosm for the rest of us and you think about what Jesus means for the rest of us as we think about bringing him into our lives or, or putting our faith in him, what does it mean for all of your life? Is it gonna be hard? Are people going to understand? What if it leads you to have to stop doing some things that you really, really love, some things that you really enjoy, some things that you value about yourself, some things where you find your identity in them? What if he asks you to do something that goes against your plan for your life? You don't think this changed Mary's plans for her life? Just a little bit? Like what if he asks you to do something that goes against your plans for your life? What if, 
what if people that you care about turn on you? What if people you care about actually start to hate you or persecute you or ignore you? You don't think that Mary experienced that? Again, remember, for Mary, like this is not a cheap thing. Like for her to go out into public as a 14-year-old girl betrothed and say that she's pregnant means that she should be stoned. Right? That she should be stoned. And she's gone to her mom and dad and said this to her. She's gone to her town and her village. And by the way, everybody knows everybody in these little villages. Like this isn't something you could hide. Like this is extremely challenging for her. And yet here we have this girl. But even more so, we remind ourselves that when God shows love, there's nothing to ultimately fear. Because this person This baby comes from God's intense love for us. And regardless of what it costs us, regardless of what others say, regardless of what it it means in our lives, his love for us should cast out all fear of any of those things because he is choosing to lay himself out and down for us. He's choosing to lay himself down, to sacrifice himself, to give of his life. And again, Mary doesn't know all this yet, but we do. We know what the love of God means, that he sent his son to have the nails pierce his feet and his hands and the spear be driven through his sides so that we might not have to experience the wrath of God. This is out of love. And if a God would be willing to give such a treasure, such a valuable and beautiful thing for us, what fear is left to be had? What fear can there be when a perfectly knowledgeable God, a perfectly powerful God says, I am for you and I'm not against you, so much so that I would spill the blood of my son. I'm truly going to be with you. Emmanuel, God with us. This grace, it's worth any of the hard things that it would, be bring, that it would bring about. And Mary knew the same thing. We don't need to fear because we are in his hands and we are in his love. The second takeaway is this, that favor to Mary is favor to all. Romans chapter 3 we already read some of it, says this, for there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified. They are made right by his grace, his unmerited favor as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation or substitute by his blood to be received by faith. Look at the favor we have access to because of the favor given to Mary. This is not just for Mary, it's for everybody. It's for everybody in first century Israel all the way up into 2023 Wichita, Kansas and everywhere between across this entire planet. That is the value of the gift that we've been given at Christmas. His blood is sufficient to save any who would put their faith in him. We're made right by this gift and it's for everybody. 
In God's steadfast love and faithfulness, he puts forth Jesus to redeem and to atone for the very things that separated us from him in the first place. I love Proverbs chapter 16, verse six. It says, by steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And we know that it's atoned for by the very blood of the baby who came on Christmas morning so many years ago. And it was, it was birthed out of love. This is what his favor is. We're being the shown the value of Jesus right here. It isn't for Mary alone, it's for the whole world. This is way more valuable than that watch on the antique road show. Even one's worth $2 million. It's worth any cost that would bring us in our lives. It wipes away all of our trouble, all of our confusion, and all of our fear. And the third takeaway for us is, is it requires a response. God's favor requires a response from all of us. Look at how Mary responded. This is in... Chapter 1, verse 45, we didn't read this, but this is Elizabeth talking about Mary, and it says, and blessed is she, Mary, who believed that there would be fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. What did Mary do? Mary believed. She believed. She believed that she would miraculously get pregnant. That is no small thing. Right? Like, just think about it. That's no small thing. She believed that, the, that an angel was speaking to her and that she would get miraculously pregnant. She believed that the Lord was going to be with her. She believed that no matter how hard it might get or what things she would have to lay down or suffer, that God's goodwill, his grace, and her, his favor was upon her. She believed that. You know what I think I would have done? I think I would have gone to my parents and been like, I think I ate something too spicy before I went to bed. Like, really? Like, like, this is a massive thing. Like, like, this is huge. She believed, based on nothing, what the angel was going to say to her. She believed. This is faith. And now if you go back to verse 38, we see how that faith is borne out in her actions. She says this, Behold, I am the slave. I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. The angel departs from her because she believes she offers herself to him. Behold, I am the slave of the Lord. I am the servant of the Lord. She served. She believed and she served. Everyone will respond to his favor the favor that is offered in Jesus. Mary knew that the natural fruit of trust is service. Right? So just think about this. If you believe your doctor, when you go to them when you're sick, you're going to do everything they tell you to do exactly the way you tell them to do it. Right? You believe them. You believe them and so you become a slave to whatever there is that they say. If you believe in the goodness of your parents and you believe in, in the righteousness of your parents and the love of your parents and you're going to be a slave to anything they tell you to do because you trust in their love for you, right? Like we understand this reality. Mary understands this too. Like if you believe in God and you believe in what God is going to do, then you're just gonna say like, I'm a, I'm a servant, I'm a slave. Whatever you tell me because you're for me, not against me, because I have your favor and I can trust you. 
And this makes us uncomfortable, but if we truly believe that God has turned his favor upon us, what fear would cause us to doubt? What fear would cause us to doubt the good of anything that he would actually ask of us, even if it causes us hardship in this world? To refuse to serve a king means that you doubt that they have your best interest at heart. To refuse to serve a king means that you doubt that they have your best interest at heart. It means that you doubt their goodness. It means that you doubt their wisdom. It means that you doubt their power. It means that you doubt their support. It means that you doubt their presence. And ultimately, it means you doubt their love because it's the only reason you wouldn't just bow yourself to everything that that king says. See, if you believe all these things, you become a slave to serve that king no matter what happens. Mary believed, and so she served. She believed, and so she served. But then she also submitted. She submitted herself. If you only get this one thing, I want you to catch this. I want you to write it down. I want you to take a picture of it on the screen. But true favor, and we're gonna talk about that here in just a second, but true favor of God can only come with submission. Another way to say it, as it's up on the screen, true favor cannot come without submission to God. Right? It cannot come without submission to God. Full trust in God. And Mary was willing to do that. So, right, imagine if Mary had said, okay, um, I'm, I'm really not to submit, really to submit to this happening to me because it seems scary, because it seems hard. You remember when we talked about favor at the very beginning and how I said I, that, that it shouldn't generate fear? When we really understand the favor of God, though, we understand that it means ultimately for us to gain that favor. It means that we're going to submit. And there's a contrast between the way we think about favor and the way the scripture speaks about favor. So let me help you see that. I'm going to just walk through it. Remember I said that we can have the perception that God's favor means we're going to have a long life. God's real favor means we're going to have eternal life. There's a big difference, isn't there? How many Christians' lives were shortened dramatically because of the faith they put in Jesus, right? His favor doesn't mean you're going to have a long life. His favor means you're going to have an eternal life, which means you need to submit your life to him, right? Keep going. It says uh, the world would say, well, God's favor means that I'm going to have a lot of wealth. God's real favor says, no, you're going to have a lasting inheritance. That's entirely different. World would say, well, God's favor means I'm going to have a good life. Jesus says, no, no, I'm going to give you an abundant life. I'm going to give you an abundant life. Right? Not based on the world's perception of good, but an abundant life where you're serving the Lord and you're walking in his goodness and you're walking in his presence and you're doing the things he's called you to do. We have to oftentimes have the perception of God's favor bringing us pleasure in our lives. Well, if God's got favor on me, then I'm going to experience all kinds of pleasure. God says, no, no, I'm going to give you satisfaction. I'll give you an illustration of that. So um, serving the Lord, he might call you into some really hard spaces. I can think of some times in my life where God has called me into some places around the world where I was not comfortable. Physically, there was no pleasure being had. Dirt floors, really hot really tired, having to get up really early in the morning, having people serve me food that was wrought with all kinds of parasites and bacteria that jacked up my stomach, 
right? Like I was not in any way pleasurable experiences. Those were not pleasurable experiences, but you know what they were? I was satisfied in God. I was satisfied. I was satisfied to be in a place where he had called me to be. I was satisfied in the midst of his will. And there's a big difference between experiencing earthly pleasure and satisfaction. And God's favor promises satisfaction in the midst of his will. I don't know that Mary enjoyed people talking about her behind her back, but she had satisfaction in knowing that she was in the will of God. So favor means something different. Again, perceptions oftentimes say, well, God's going to give me security, but God's real favor is that we're going to have trust. Give you another example. I know a missionary who, who went to serve in another part of the world to give the gospel to people who had never had it. And they had the security of a big bank account where, man, if they needed something, they would just have to go and just write a check out of that bank account. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying, but what they learned was, was that when they gave that away, they actually gained the favor of God by having to learn to trust him. And so they give, give examples of like, when my son needed shoes, like we just prayed and then he would provide and we would get to see God come through and meet our needs. See, God's real favor is that we grow in trust for him. It's not that we always have security in the world's eyes. And we do have security in our faith, but nonetheless, perceptions of God's favor can oftentimes be happiness. God's real favor is that he gives us joy. We can have um, fear of death not coming to us. God's real favor is that he gives us victory over death. Perception of God's favor is that we're going to have health. God says, no, you may not. You might. I can heal you, but you know what you will have? You will have healing in all of your weaknesses forever. You'll never experience it. Once you get to heaven, like all of it's gonna be wiped away. Every tear, every piece of brokenness, every corruption of your flesh is gonna be wiped away and you won't ever need to be healed again. Perceptions of God's favor is that he is gonna help us accomplish our dreams. God's real favor is that he allows us to participate in his dreams, his purposes, his plans. Perception of God's favor is oftentimes, man, he's going to free me to be who I am. God's real favor is, is that he's going to make you who you were meant to be in Christ. And all of this real favor requires that you die to yourself. Real favor requires that you submit to whatever God has for you and you trust it even if it's hard. And even if you wish it was different, Mary submitted herself to the Father. She submitted herself to the King because she trusted the King and because she believed that he would be with her in the midst of it. And she believed that it would mean something far greater than anything she could have had in this world. And she was right. And I'm so glad that she did. We have to submit to his truth, not ours. Submit to his way of life, not ours. Everyone here this morning has to respond to God's favor that is found in Jesus on Christmas. Some people are going to ignore it. They're just going to ignore it completely, believing there is no God, that his favor doesn't make any sense, doesn't make any difference, you don't care, it doesn't matter. Some people are going to be like Mary's uncle. If you read just in a few verses before Zechariah, when he's told about his wife becoming pregnant, he didn't believe. 
And so he had to go through some hard things until God softened his heart and actually showed him that. So some people here will be like that. You'll be like, I don't believe in these things. And you'll have to walk through some difficult challenges before you lay some things down that maybe you're holding too hard onto. So you surrender some things that maybe you need to surrender. Some will believe. And you will walk with the Lord and you will experience his favor and his goodness. My prayer is, is that this Christmas, we will come to see the value of what is before us, the value of God's favor. The like that man in the antique roadshow that I was talking about with the watch, someone is telling you that this is worth so much more than what oftentimes we give it credit for. The Christmas story is worth so much more than anything this world has to offer. Romans chapter five, verse two says this, through Jesus, We have all obtained access by faith into this favor, into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. If you're a disciple of Jesus this morning, this Christmas season, I pray that the cry of your heart, your cry of your soul, as you consider everything that this means, everything that Jesus means, everything that he has done for you, that the cry of your heart is the same cry as Mary's. And you say, I believe I am your servant. Let it be done to me according to your word. Do with me whatever you want. Like I'm yours. Like you're worth more than anything else this world has. I want to follow you with everything in my life. I hope that is the cry of your heart. I hope that is the response of your heart as you celebrate the work of God in and through Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. That you would say, I believe and I'm your servant. Let it be done to me according to your word. Have your way with me. I pray that as you enter into the new year, which is just a few weeks away, that all of your resolutions that you might make have to do with following Jesus with more zeal in 2024. Giving yourself more fully to Jesus in 2024. Surrendering more of your heart and more of your sins and more of your addictions to Jesus in 2024. We actually have a sermon series we're gonna start in 2024 called Faithfulness because our our desire is to walk in faithfulness more deeply as we enter into that. My prayer is if you haven't seen the value of Christmas, the favor of the living God, I want you to know we're praying for you. We're praying that you would see, that you would have eyes to see and ears to hear the favor of God, that you would actually desire to have him with you, that you would have a desire to have him call you friend, have him call you son or daughter and walk with you, to take away your fears and cast them away. Because if you're in Christ, there is no fear. Because there is therefore no, not con- no condemnation for those who are in Jesus. Listen, if you're one of those people, there's a lot you're not gonna know. There's a lot that you're not gonna understand. 
There's a lot that might even trouble you. There's a lot that might even confuse you. You might be like, I don't know what God's going to call me into. I don't know what he might lead me into. I don't know what I have to lay down. But I can tell you this, as somebody who's walked with Jesus, that nothing that he might ask you to give, no cost that it takes to find Jesus, will ever surpass the beauty of walking with him and the promises he gives to you. And I pray and I hope that your heart would be open to that, that you would see it, And that you would respond by belief. Because all of this is out of love. For God so loved the world, Christmas. For God so loved the world, we have a baby. For God so loved the world, that baby would grow up and take the cross for you. Like that's the beauty, and the value. And I hope you see it. We're going to sing a song, and, and as we sing this song, I want you to just ponder the beauty of that uh, as we worship, but I also want to invite you, if you want to talk to somebody about stepping into that and trusting Jesus and trusting the Lord, like we want to be available to talk with you. And I promise that if you want to talk with someone, you may not be ready to commit your life yet, but you just want to ask more, you want to talk more, I, I, whatever that is, like we want to pray with you, we want to be available. And so we're going to have prayer counselors and elders up at the front. I'll be up at the front as well. We'd love to talk with you. Don't care what your age is, don't care what your background is. I don't care how bad your sins are, Jesus' blood is valuable enough to cover them all. And I want to invite you to come into that. I want you to invite you to step into the favor of God. Step into the favor of the living God this morning. Pray with me. Father, thank you for this story. And I know we've covered a ton of stuff here. I know that Sometimes looking on the outside, looking in, it can feel like your favor is scary. You might call us to hard things, that it's going to cost us something, that it's going to be hard, that it's going to be full of sacrifice. And Father, your promise is, though, that you have given us your grace to lead us to life. That you've given us your son who's the way, the truth, and the life. That we might come to you. And the value of that gift, the value of being able to enter into your presence, the value of the blood that is spilled for us, to take care of our sins and to address our debt to you and to reconcile us and to redeem us and to deliver us, to take us out of darkness, all the things we've talked about already in this Christmas season, the value of that is worth the sell of everything in our lives. Father, may we as your people, those who've put your faith, may we be more dedicated to serving you to believing you and to following you with our whole heart, our whole mind, our whole strength out of love for what you've done. For those that are here that don't know you yet, Lord, we pray that you would open their hearts. Open their eyes that they might find your favor. That in faith, they might step into your favor. 
Father, I pray that some would do that even this morning during this Christmas season. Thank you for the opportunity and the privilege to be reminded of your goodness, of your love, and of your favor. May we never forget it. May we never take it for granted. Pray and ask these things in your name.